Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Bill Manning. Bill works for a small local outfit known as MLSE, or Makeley Sports and Entertainment, where he serves as president of both the CFL's Toronto Argonauts and Toronto FC in the MLS. He is a treasured son as Massapequa on Long Island, New York, home to other legends including Billy Joel, Howard Stern, Jerry Seinfeld, and the Baldwin brothers, two of whom he knows personally. Bill, please tell me one of them is Alec. No, no, he was uh, he was older than me, and he actually was uh, known as Xander back in the day because his real name is Alexander, and everyone called him Xander. But he was the oldest bald when I was friendly with Billy and Stephen, and then their sister Jane. We were Billy was a couple years older, Stephen was a year younger, and then Jane would was the same grade as me. Excellent. Well, that's great from your background. Really happy to see all their success. Amazing family. Absolutely. Well, a lot of success from Massapequa. How and why does Bill end up taking not only a job in Toronto, but also moving his whole family up here and becoming proud Canadian permanent residents? So let's jump right in. Welcome, Bill, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? So right now I'm at the BMO training ground, which is the um, training facility for Toronto FC. Uh, this is where my my main office is, and uh, it's a great place to work, um, great environment here. It's been an incredibly tough year uh, for Toronto FC, but uh, John Herdman started last week and uh, has really brought a lot of excitement around him and his coaching staff, and, and uh, you know, we're looking for him to make the same, same impact with TFC that he did with the Canadian national teams, both the men and the women. So so that's uh, that's where I am right now. Excellent. We're going to get into all that. Now, Bill, I can only imagine it's been a very busy summer for you work-wise. Did you get a chance to also enjoy some time off? Not much. Uh, so in this, uh, in this life, the games, everything revolves around the games. And so for as long as I can remember, even... Uh, you know, before we got married, you know, every weekend it's 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 your your team's game, um, and now with two teams, you know, it's 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 either an Argos or a TFC home game, and my family has been been a part of that. My boys have grown up with the teams that I've worked with, and uh, my wife has been there. I've been married thirty years, and she's been there uh, through the thick and the thin, the good times, the championships, and also the tough times. And so, um, it's become a family affair, and so. You know, uh, when I can get a day off or two days off, the weekends are usually, uh, you know, really um, fun because it revolves around the games. And so uh, I've been fortunate enough to involve my whole family with my business um, in terms of following the teams that I'm with. And so it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's the best way to do it. And I, I did want to ask, Bill, what part of town do you live in? And if I may ask, who makes up the Manning household these days? Yeah, so I live in King City. So it's about uh, a half hour north of our training ground here in Downsview. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, who we've been married 30 years now, got married in 1993. Um, she's a Jersey girl, originally from New Jersey. And then uh, uh, two sons, a 24-year-old John, will be graduating university uh, this winter. He was able to walk in May, um, but he still has two more courses. You know, COVID kind of messed up everyone's... Um, you know, studies. And so he has two more courses. I'm really uh, happy for him as he embarks on his career. And then I have a, a younger boy who's 20 who goes to um, university in the States as well. And so he's in his junior year. 
Well, now, now I know why you're working so hard. You're in your you got to be in your prime earning years to get these kids through school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is for sure. Now, here's the roadmap for our chat. We're going to talk about big picture MLSE and then dive down into your particular portfolio within MLSE. But before that, it would be great to go all the way back and get the Bill Manning story. As noted, you are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And, and please describe your upbringing. Yeah, so I was, I was born in New York. Both my parents were from Manhattan. Uh, I was born in Queens, and um, I think we were three and a half when uh, we moved out to Long Island. Um, but most of my family is is from New York City, um, the Upper East Side of Manhattan and Yorkville, and then uh, they kind of branched out to Queens or to Long Island. Uh, my dad was NYPD, uh, so I grew up in a police family, and my mother was a teacher. I have a, a younger brother three and a half years younger than me, who I'm really proud of. Uh, my brother's deaf. He played in three deaf Olympics uh, as a soccer player. So uh, that was really awesome for him. And my sister, Heather, is a, uh, a school teacher, uh, married to a great guy. They have three kids. My brother has two kids. And so, uh, you know, I grew up in a blue collar family. My dad was a cop and uh, sports was always something that we bonded around. And so I played all sports growing up. And, uh, you know, had a good family environment, good friends. Uh, I have some childhood friends that I went to high school with that just came up and visited me in Toronto a few weeks ago. We get together once a year and it was my turn uh, for all of us to get together. These are guys I've known 40, 50 years. Um, so that's, that's uh, you know, still good connections back there. You know, it was, um, it was a childhood of, of sports and friendships. And, you know, the one thing I always remember, my dad went to every, whether it was soccer or basketball or wrestling or, you know, baseball, whatever it was I was playing, my dad was always there. And so I've tried to do that for both my boys, you know, as they grew up playing sports as well. That's excellent. And that is so important. I remember that myself as well, Bill. It's just great when you can look up and see your folks in the in the crowd. Now, you attended the University of Bridgeport, where you earned both your Bachelor of Science and your MBA. You were a nationally recognized collegiate soccer player and subsequently were inducted into the school's Hall of Fame in 2006. Clearly, you were able to balance both the books and uh, high-level competitive sports. Yeah, you know, my my early years, you know, honestly, I was way more into my sports than I was my studies. And uh, about my junior year, uh, I started to realize back when I played in college, there really was no uh, future as a professional soccer player. There was there was no MLS at the time. The old NASL had folded in 1984. And, and I started to get better grades my junior and senior year. And I, I still um, wasn't mature enough to really enter the workforce. I still needed uh, a couple of years of studies and I had a, uh, a professor, uh, Dr. Mariah, who suggested to me that I stay on for my master's, um, which I did. And that was uh, the best thing I ever did. And it's not that I needed a master's. I still needed another year and a half to mature and to um, learn a little bit more and um, got more into kind of business and, and understanding that side of it and then matured a bit. And I was fortunate enough when I did stay on for my master's, that's when I met my future wife. And uh, she came in as a freshman as I was a first year grad student. And uh, we met and, um, you know, kind of goes on from there. So it was meant to be. But I, I had a, a, a really great college experience. I really uh, enjoyed it and uh, was able to play soccer and have a really good soccer career there. Uh, made, made good friends. And uh, so really, uh, 
I, my college experience was good. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Now let's talk, Bill, about your sports business career, which literally started while you're still on the pitch, took you through yeah. the NBA and the NFL, and has now brought you north to the C-suite at MLSE. I'm going to ask you to give us, in Canada, we call it the Coles Notes, but you would better know it as the Cliff's Note version <laughs> of your sports business career. Yeah. The sports world, has, the soccer world, really has changed dramatically since I came out of university. And I was able to actually start my sports career by working for an indoor soccer league out in California. And I was able to play for a team in the USL at the same time called the Valley Golden Eagles. And seven or eight months later, uh, I came back to New York and I was able to play for a team called the New York Fever. And uh, they offered me two grand a month to play and another thousand a month to help out in the front office. And so myself and two other players, Tom Lips and Chris Santo, took kind of the same deal. And um, I would sell group sales and try to sell some sponsorships and so on. And I would go to, I'd go in with a, with a shirt and tie. And, and then at three o'clock we'd leave and we'd go train at four o'clock every day. And it was, uh, in a league that's currently called the USL. And, um, it was an opportunity for me to actually get to see real, um, executives working in, in the front office while I was still a player. And, uh, after a couple of years, it was a team called the Long Island Rough Riders, and uh, their owners must have heard that they. I was from Long Island, so they would have known me as a player. But they heard that I was helping out in the front office, and they offered me to be uh, the general manager of their team, which was my first true uh, sports job um, where it was full time. And then from there, I moved. My wife and I we we moved a number of times as my career took different paths, and. Went to a team called the Minnesota Thunder, uh, which is now the Minnesota United and MLS. Uh, and then uh, my first foray into MLS was a team in Tampa. And we were owned by the league, so I worked with Don Garber and Mark Abbott. And then I left and wound up going to the Houston Rockets, where I worked for a guy named Tad Brown, great, great mentor of mine, great guy. And Yao Ming was there at the time, so it was a really exciting time for the Rockets. And then I uh, got... Um, recruited over to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL, um, where I was in charge of uh, all the sponsorships and premium seating and suites and so on. That was a great four years that we really enjoyed. And then uh, uh, soccer came back calling, and I had an opportunity to go run Real Salt Lake in 2008 when Dave uh, Chekets was the owner. And, um, you know, that kind of then led to MLSE seven, eight years later when I joined MLSE in 2015. And let's talk about that 2015. Bill, what brings you up north to Canada? So I had had uh, a real good run in Salt Lake and uh, you know made the playoffs every year, won an MLS Cup, went to two MLS Cup finals, went to a CCL final. Um, the business was doing very good. We actually turned into a, one of the profitable um, franchises. And um, MLSE, though, was, was looking for a president at the time. And um, we had a change in ownership at Salt Lake from Dave Checkets, who I originally went to work for, to a guy by the name of Deloitte Hansen. And I was coming out of contract, and I did not want to stay. And uh, it was actually Dave Checkets who introduced me to Larry Tannenbaum. And uh, one thing kind of led to the next. And uh, I wound up um, accepting the job here and joining uh, MLSE. Uh, in 2015. And then, um, you know, part of uh, 
you know, building a, a championship club for a number of years and uh, really excited about that. And then at the end of 2017, they asked me to take on the Argonauts as well. Um, when we acquired the Argonauts fully uh, under MLSE's umbrella, you know, I look where the Argonauts are now compared to where we were in 2018 and uh, puts a smile on my face because we uh, both on and off the field are really good place with the Argonauts and similar to what we kind of built with TSC in my first five years. Absolutely. Now, let's float up to 30,000 feet if we can. Get the big picture of your employer, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I'll set this up if I may. MLSE, of course, is one of the world's largest sports and entertainment companies, owning, among other properties, the NHL's Toronto Maple Leafs, the NBA's Toronto Raptors, the CFL's Toronto Argonauts, the MLS's Toronto FC, as well as the Toronto Raptors eSports franchise in the NBA 2K League. MLSE also owns and operates Scotiabank Arena, which in addition to being the home of the Maple Leafs and Raptors, hosts more than 200 concerts and other events every year. Now, MLSE has also invested in and operates numerous other Toronto sports facilities, including the Coca-Cola Coliseum, BMO Field, the BMO Training Grounds at Downsview Park, where you are today, the OVO Athletic Center, and the Ford Performance Center. Based on some recent ownership-level transactions, the digital content platform Sportico reported MLSE as being valued at an absolutely whopping $8 billion American dollars. Let's jump right into that, Bill. If you could please describe your particular roles and responsibilities at MLSE. Yeah, so, you know, I'm one of the three team presidents, uh, along with Masai Ujiri and Brendan Shanahan, all friends um, and, and colleagues and great guys. And we we support each other. We learn from each other. And, um, you know, other than Mark Shapiro here in, in Toronto, we have a bond uh, along with Mark. Uh, we have a bond of, you know, sitting in these shoes and, and running, you know, these sports teams that that are near and dear to a lot of Torontonians hearts um, and the good times and the bad. And, uh, you know, how you kind of get through it and, and, and your, you know, your commitment uh, to try to always um, do what's best for the organization and also the fans. And so uh, we have a great bond, uh, Masai and Brendan and I here at MLSE. We run the, the teams, and so I'm, I'm. I have the two teams, the CFL team and, and the MLS team, and obviously Brendan with um, you know the Toronto Maple Leafs, which have such a long history here in Toronto, and then Masai with the Raptors, and you know them winning the 2019 NBA title was really exciting for the company. Um, so it's uh, you know the three of us really have a great bond. We work very closely with Cynthia Devine, who is our CEO at MLSE, and then obviously our board members. You know, Mirko Bibich with uh, Bell and Tony Staffieri at Edward Rogers with uh, with Rogers and then certainly Larry Tannenbaum and Dale Lastman with, uh, you know, with Kilmer Sports. And so it's, um, you know, we're fortunate uh, that we have such great ownership and, and such great fans and fan bases. But the three of us, um, we really uh, provide a great support system for each other. So it's really, uh, I appreciate both those guys. Well, I cannot imagine the confusion, Bill. When you talk to people about your particular roles in Toronto at MLSE, you got Toronto FC playing soccer, which is also known as football. You got the Argos playing what is described as American football, which is actually Canadian football. How do you have any clue what anyone is talking about when you're in a conversation with that? <laughs> you know, it's funny because we play in Major League Soccer, um, but most of the world calls it football. You're right. And, uh, you know, with the CFL, a lot of times... Most people around the world, they play American football. We play CFL. 
uh, which which our commissioner describes as gridiron football, and that's how we uh, we term it. But um, you know, I didn't know much about the CFL or the Argos when I had the opportunity to take on the president role, and we're we're currently uh, celebrating our hundred fiftieth anniversary, and we did. Last week, uh, ends game, we had an opportunity to bring back a number of legends and, and alumni, and I've read a lot about the history of this team here in Toronto, and um, uh, it's meant a lot. It's meant a lot to this city. It was, you know, it was just the Maple Leafs and the Argos at one time, um, and really proud of where the team is now uh, on the field. Um, we're making new fans, and, and Toronto FC has always had a great uh, relationship with its fans um, in this market. When they first came into the league in 2007, I was in Salt Lake, but I remember the fanfare and uh, I remember seeing a different type fan base uh, that was really into the team, even though they had some tough years early on. And then we saw that really emerge during our championship years and how connected we got with the city. And so my job is something that you know, every single day, what drives me is is how to how to win, and then um, you know how to have a, a place that we all enjoy the work. And so, I haven't been able to get both teams to be really good at the same time. So that is uh, my goal in life right now. I joke, you know, when I had the Argos, my first couple of years were really, really difficult. We made a couple of changes, and 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 uh, I had an opportunity to bring Pinball Clemens in and Ryan Dinwiddie, a guy named John Murphy, and, and things are doing really well there. And then TFC, though, as the Argos were ascending through COVID and then coming out of COVID, um, we just didn't get the right mix of on and off the field. And we've had a really difficult season. And so my goal in life is to now get keep the Argos where they are and get TFC back to where we were. Absolutely. I like hearing that. And uh, Bill, that's why you get the big bucks. If it was easy, <laughs> anyone would do it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy. That is for sure. And, you know, if anything, this is the first time in my career I've really had some sustained losing with the soccer team and it's um it's difficult because and I would say I I always had an expectation to win you expected to win and I say this when we turn this around and we we get back to our winning ways I'm going to appreciate it much more uh because of how difficult a journey it's been for kind of the bottom to fall out and then to rebuild I visualize, you know, looking back a few years from now and saying, okay, we got through that and man, it's tough to win. And the margins are so thin and sometimes one or two wrong people or wrong players or, or, you know, just an injury or two and all of a sudden things fall apart. And so uh, I've I've learned a lot uh, these last few years. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Bill, when someone runs into you on the street, you are a man of the people. When they find out exactly what you do, what percent want to talk about the Argos? What percent want to talk about TFC? And what percent ignore what you work on and want to talk about the Leafs and the Raptors? <laughs> when people meet me, I'd say 80% of the time it's TFC. I actually just told this to someone yesterday. What I am so amazed by, we're having such a difficult season with TFC. Um, and even like this, this last weekend, I went to a wedding and... So many, mostly men, came up to me and they commiserated with me. So rather than hating on me and saying, you know, you guys suck and, you know, you're doing a terrible job and big fans, all season ticket holders. And they literally was, they were hugging it out with me 
feeling the pain and and commiserating, right? And it was such a honest moment for me. And that's what I've found is most of the fans that I come across in my everyday life, they they commiserate and they 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 get it. And I love that. I, I love the support and the understanding that we're gonna get back, right? And it's more of a shot in the arm for me because they're like, hey, you know, we know it's tough, but keep going, you know, keep pushing. Let's uh you know, keep pushing the needle. And then uh, you know, the Argos have gained a bit more relevancy. And so now it's um it, it it's been a pleasure to meet people that are longtime Argos fans, you know, generally our Argos season ticket holders, a good portion of them have been 20, 30 year season ticket holders, like like long time generational in their family. And you get to learn a lot of them. It, it ties back to usually their dad or their grandfather who brought them to games and they, you know, continued on that tradition. And then, you know, certainly you'll get the Leafs in the Raps reference that uh, I, uh, like I said, I, I love Brendan and Masai and I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleaders. And I'm like, look guys, you know, if they're complaining about the Leafs, not, you know, winning a Stanley cup. And I'm like, that's a, such a high bar. Like I always believe in, in, in Brendan and Masai that they're going to do great things, but it's, it's mostly when I'm, when, when people, you know, stop over to say hello or, 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 or kind of look in my direction, make eye contact or smile or whatever. It's mostly TFC fans and that's what's been amazing to me is how they've treated me during such a difficult season um in person uh and and it kind of makes me want to win and and look back and and thank those people well that's great that you're getting that support of course that is the Canadian way Bill you know that now that you've yeah. been here long enough <laughs> we're always uh, polite and supportive Let's talk about your two properties. As you've alluded, you kind of got one that's doing better, one that's had its challenges. Let's start with the the more positive one. Of course, you talked about it. Our reigning Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. They are already winners of the Eastern Division, just trying to stay injury-free as they get ready for the playoffs, shooting for back-to-back Grey Cup championship wins. You talked about your recent experience at the 150th birthday celebration at Toronto Argos. For you, it risked have been a real educational experience like visiting a living museum yeah no it was fantastic i i uh i read a book i remember a week before our our 150th luncheon with all these alumni i just devoured this book called double blue and it was um, a really great book that tied all the way back to the origins of the toronto argonauts and it had a bunch of photos and it was amazing to me you know when when the argonauts started out you know it started out through a rowing club and when they originally played what we term as football, it was more rugby back in the day. And, uh, you know, eventually it became football. And there were so many little things that I had no idea about. So the Argonauts played a game in Yankee Stadium in 1923 back in New York, uh, where I'm from, right? What was funny about that game is the Argonauts showed up with, with kind of baseball caps and the other team was wearing the old leather helmets. And so Argonauts got their butts kicked that game and, you know, there was a tie-in that I learned about um, the Grey Cup. And so I think it was 19, it was in the 40s. Uh, so 1946, I think. And there was a, a terrible fire that burned down the old Toronto Argonaut Rowing Club, clubhouse. And uh, the next day, an Argonaut fan went out and it was kind of a little glimmer in all this rubble and stuff. And it was the 1946 Grey Cup that he was able to rescue from the, you know, from the fire, from all the rubble and, and uh, 
the whole place had burned down. And so there's a, a really cool photo of it. And it's kind of tarnished and burnt a bit, but that Grey Cup lived on and the Argonauts went on to win the Grey Cup again in 1947. And so all these little stories that tie back and then, you know, names that I recognized growing up and didn't realize, you know, they played for the Argonauts, you know, Joe Theismann, obviously, and, and a guy named Terry Metcalf and, you know, certainly Doug Flutie, you know about. And it was really cool to um, learn so much about this team and big crowds. I mean, 40,000 people coming out to games when they played at the old Sky Dome. And I, I'm a history buff myself. And to learn about that and the connection with the city was really cool. And so when I first was named the president of the Argos, I was a bit scared because I'm not a football guy. I'm, 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 you know, I played soccer. And while I loved, football growing up and I eventually worked in the NFL for four years so I had an understanding of the business side I didn't uh you know know the game and so dealing with the general managers and the head coaches and so on it's been such a pleasure on where we are now with the Argonauts because you know I'm such a big part of it and I'm integrated with with all the guys and I've learned like every day I learned so much about the Argonauts and the CFL and uh you know, CFL has gone through some tough times in recent years, and I think we're coming out of it. And uh, it's really, um, it's really good to see. So I, I, I'm no longer scared. You know, when I was in my early years, I feel really comfortable around all the football guys, and you know, they're the ones that are running this team, and uh, I, I get the opportunity to see them and talk to them every day and um, support them. And so it's been uh, been a lot of fun, but it, it's not lost on me the history of that team in this city. I'm glad you brought that up because people don't realize, and this was obviously before the Raptors and before TFC was around. I grew up in Toronto. I'd regularly go to games at Exhibition Stadium, 40,000 people. It was a big deal. And on a personal level, at your recent anniversary party, I love seeing you bring back my guys, number seven, Conrad Holloway, number 10, Terry Greer, and of course, yeah. number 25, the Rocket, Rocket Ishmael. <laughs> now, they got a lot of love at the celebration. I got the impression they absolutely love coming back to Toronto. Because they were so fondly remembered, yeah, yeah, no, they were. So, the, so that 1983 team that uh, that Terry Greer played on, you know, they hadn't won the Grey Cup since the 50s. So it was, I think, 32 years that the Argonauts hadn't won the Grey Cup. And if I had a chance, you know, I, I devoured this book and I looked online at different stories. So if you look back to the 1983 parade and the celebration downtown Toronto, it was massive. It was massive, and. I asked one of the guys who was part of that team, the 1983 team, and he said it was actually scary. Nowadays, you know, we've had a TFC parade, we've had a, a, a Raptors parade, and it's a little more organized and, and planned in advance. And I guess back in the 80s, they just threw this uh, parade on for the Argonauts and way more people showed up than they thought. I think it was Terry Greer I was talking to, and he would say it was a little scary. They were jumping in the cars and they were but amazing you know how this there was a real um a real spirit there with that team in the city as as toronto was growing up right and now you know i'm living here in toronto you realize this is a world-class city we're a global city um and i don't think back in the 80s toronto was right it's not what it is now and uh the argonauts brought a lot of joy to a lot of people um when they won it in 83 and then since then we've won you know, they won again in 91, that magical year with John Candy and Wayne Gretzky as owners. And, you know, you mentioned the Rocket and my guy Pinball was part of that team. And so, 
it just I love learning more and more about the Argos. And then when we hosted the festivities last week and then the luncheon that I had an opportunity to speak at, to see the camaraderie these guys had. And I know that as an athlete, there's a special bond you build with with your teammates when you win championships. And to see these guys together, it was like they just saw each other yesterday. And uh, that was, uh, I was glad we could put this together and bring them all back to Toronto. Some still live in Toronto, which is really cool. Um, and then to see our fans really honor them, that was, uh, that was special. It was one of, the, one of the best moments of my sports career was last week with the Argonauts. That's excellent. Now, Bill, when you talk about legends, one stands above all. You've alluded to him, Pinball Clemens. You work closely with him. Is he actually the nicest man on the planet? Or in reality, is he more like Isaiah Thomas, who once famously was labeled in this very city when he was running the Raptors as the smiling assassin? <laughs> Pinball is one of the the best human beings that I know. He is uh, he's authentic. He's real. He's positive. Very, very positive personality. He believes in people. Pinball is late for everything. But he's late because he gives his time to people. And it's true. He Wherever I go with pinball, people stop him. They ask for a photo. And he speaks to them. And he talks to them. And he takes the photos. And he takes the time. And, and uh, uh, he's just a great guy. You know, when I had taken over the Argonauts, we had some top football guys on 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 the staff and then on the coaching staff. But it was a, a difficult environment, I'll say. And we went through a couple of really bad seasons. And I was introduced to pinball uh, through a mutual friend and, you know, heard a bit about him and had a chance to have lunch with him and, you know, kind of kept what I would call a loose association. But I kept going back to, you know, pinball was this great football player. He then became a coach and won a great cup. And I had not heard anyone say a bad thing about pinball. And he had all this football knowledge, right? And so as we were going through a difficult time, I, I, I felt we needed a bit of a change. And I asked to meet with Pinball. And we had uh, a cup of coffee together. And I said, you know, I'd like you to come back and join the organization. And I said, you know, Pinball, you haven't been really involved with the Argonauts since 2007 when you left as head coach. And I said, why is that, you know? Uh, and he said to me, no one's asked. And it's really interesting. So you have Pinball Clemens, who was kind of an ambassador for the team from 2008 all the way to 2019. But no one ever asked him to work in the what I would call the football ops side of the business, the football side of the business. And then I said to him, I said, well, I'm asking. And then he said, well, I can't do it anyway. <laughs> and so. We had to we had to work on him a little bit, and uh, his wife Diane eventually um, supported him because it is you know these roles you're you got to be all in. And pinball had a lot of things going on, um, but he's able to he's been able he is all in he's all in with the Argonauts and um, um, has really been a great leader for us in terms of turning around the operation. You know, one of the things he said to me. So I asked him just to kind of be around the team a little bit. And uh, he said to me, you have too many silos and we need to build bridges. And, you know, we joke about that to this day. The Argonauts built bridges and not just from the locker room to the front office, but with our fans and with, we joke, um, the business operations for 
MLSE is at 50 Bay Street. And so we talk about we, we needed to build a bridge with 50 Bay Street for the Argonauts. And we needed to build bridges between the coaches and then the football ops staff and then the on-field players. And, and he's done that. And we, we have um, a real family feel and a connected this. I mean, I, I, you know, just little things. Like I went, I was there on Wednesday and I had lunch with Ryan and Pinball and Chad Kelly was there. And Chad kind of reaches out to me and he's like, hey, Bill, appreciate all you do for us. And just just a little thing like that made my day, right? That, you know, I try to to support everyone as much as I can. Uh, but then for our, our star quarterback to kind of reach out and say, appreciate you. Um, it was nice. It was, it was It's a really good feeling that's going on there right now. So, but it starts with pinball. And, you know, when I hired pinball, he's not your prototypical general manager in terms of, you know, he didn't know every player in the CFL and he didn't know, he hadn't been like on the football side of the business for a long time, but I knew he was a football guy, right? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't forget about the game. Uh, and so we, we had a, a guy named Vince Magri that was within the front office and a real good person. Um, and then a guy named John Murphy, we brought in to help pinball with the contracts and, and the player personnel side of things. And pinball welcomed that opportunity to work together and, and collaboration is the word I use that, that again, he, he got rid of the silos and he built bridges and, and then Ryan Dinwiddie came in and he bought into that. And you're seeing now the success, you know, winning great cup last year and 13 and two on the field this year, potentially a historic season. There's only been a few teams in CFL history that have won 16 games, and so this team is is uh, is is really fun. They're they're fun to be around. Well, Bill, we're going to go for it. Let's go back to back. That's what the city wants. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about the currently more challenging part of your portfolio, Toronto FC. The 2023 Reds are completing a very disappointing season, but there is a lot going on, of course. Now Lorenzo Insigne was a huge signing for TFC. There's a real coup to bring an Italian international in his prime to a city that debatably has the most Italians outside of Italy. It's been reasonably well documented how this was accomplished. But is it true that uh, Lorenzo was sold on it when he found out that, Bill, you had previously played for the Brooklyn Italians? <laughs> I did. I, uh, you know, back in the day before the USL and before MLS, most of us, you know, the the, the ethnic clubs uh, ran the, ran a lot of the big soccer teams. And so I played for a team called the Brooklyn Italians, which actually won the 1991 U.S. Open Cup. Uh, we represented the United States in, in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. And so um, it just shows how far soccer has come. But, uh, you know, our, a lot of our fans are of, of Italian heritage and... Um, we had a, a fantastic success with a player named Sebastian Javenko, uh, who played with us for four years, was part of our championship teams, and arguably maybe the the best MLS player ever. And a good portion of our fan base loved that connection um, with an Italian player. And so after Italy won the Euros, you know, we kind of looked at, you know, okay, what players are coming out of contract and you know, Lorenzo was the biggest name. He was a starter on that European championship team. And we had the opportunity to convince him to to come over. And we did. And and it hasn't worked out the way any of us would have liked, myself or Lorenzo. But the story's not over either. Just watching this David Beckham you know, documentary that's come out and you see all the 
tribulations that he had to go through and how he had to overcome and and a lot will depend on Lorenzo and how we can support him and and uh you know build this team back up again but uh the story's not over it's just you know the first few chapters have been uh not very not very good um and we got to get better and we got to figure out a way to do that well, as you say, the story is unfolding. As you turn things around, John Herdman comes in as head coach, and that is, of course, huge news. How did you lure him away from being head coach of the Canadian national men's team, especially with a hometown FIFA World Cup just on the horizon in 2026? Yeah, that, that World Cup was, I knew, going to be a tough hurdle. And, and, you know, when we talked with John, that was something that he had to make the decision to walk away from. I've known John. We've known each other the last, you know, eight years, uh, and and I'd say we had, uh, you know, kind of a cordial friendship and a good working relationship. I had a lot of respect for him, what he's done. Uh, we have, a, you know, a number of players, Jonathan Osorio and Richie Larea, you know, played for him and always spoke highly of him. And it was it was actually his agent, uh, unbeknownst to John, who just kind of shot me a note and said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in John?" And I shot his agent back a text and I said, uh, or is it WhatsApp? And I said, would he be interested in, in TFC? And he said, let's talk. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going straight to John. And so I texted John and I said, are you interested in, uh, in talking to us? And then he texted me back and he's like, are you interested in me? <laughs> and so I just said, look, let, let, let's, let's sit down and Flew out to Vancouver with uh, Jason Hernandez, and we spent about four hours together. And um, you know, I had an opportunity to meet another a, a number of other potential coaches, and you know, three or four that were very, very good, and I definitely will be MLS coaches and and uh, guys that I that I think could have been good coaches here. But when we walked out of the meeting with John, you, you just you knew he was the guy. Because of the type of rebuild that we need, we need to rebuild our culture. We need to rebuild a group of players that that form a brotherhood. We need to break down silos. We need to build bridges here at TFC. And John has done that. He did it in New Zealand. He did it with the women's national team. He did it with the men's national team. And during our four hours, he explained to us how he did it. And he said, look, you know, there's been a number of different opportunities that have come his way, but, and he used the word bullseye. He said, this is my bullseye. He said that your club is in, in a very, very difficult moment. You have good people there, um, which we do in our, in our front office and our operation here. We do have some good people, but we just were not connected and um, we had kind of lost our way. And as president, you know, it was frustrating for me because you could see it you know, I, I've been fortunate to be a part of championship teams and, you know, you've also got a 30 year career, you experienced some losing seasons as well. And I could see things falling apart, but you can't stop it because at the end of the day, it's about the people and about the connectedness. And John, to me, seemed to be a master rebuilder. And that's what excited him about Toronto FC. And so I think it was just the right moment, the right club, the right opportunity for him um, because he's a very driven guy, a very motivated guy. 
to see a club that had had success, um, but that was at the bottom. And he's like, look, I can, I can over the next three, four years, I can build this team back up to be a major championship club again. And, and what I know as a team president, as a team president can't do it on his own. You need, you need the right GM, you need the right head coach, you need the right support staff, you need the right performance director, you need the right players. And I felt that John was a guy that was going to be able to not only build the locker room, but also be a really positive influence throughout the whole organization. Um, he's someone that I just, I, I thought, and Jason thought that he, he's the right guy. He's the guy. And, um, you know, we're banking on him to, to do great things here. And, and uh, I do hope to look back a few years from now and say, okay, that was the right move, just like, just like with Pinball and Ryan. And uh, he's an infectious guy. So just when he started last week, you just could feel a different vibe here. And people are excited and rooting for him. And um, he's a no-nonsense guy, too. Very organized. Got a chip on his shoulder, which I love. He, he wants to prove. Um, he's never been a club coach. And uh, I think, you know, we've, we've turned the page. And it's a new chapter now. And we're looking forward. And it's... Uh, uh, something I'm 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 excited about because in, in our business you always need hope, and he's giving us some hope now. Excellent. Well, clearly FC is on the right track, and of course, Bill, I would be remiss if I did not ask you for your best memories going backwards. Your best memories and stories from Toronto FC's MLS Championship in 2017. Yeah, that was a it was a it was a fantastic year. You know, the year before in 2016, we'd actually made the final and lost at home. We were the better team on the day, but just the ball didn't bounce our way, and and we lost in penalty shots. And everything from top to bottom, from our head coach to our players to myself to our staff, all we talked about was winning the championship the next year. There was no, there was no doubt in our mind that we weren't going to win that championship, and it turned out to be we won the treble, the only team in MLS history to win its domestic cup competition. We won the Canadian Championship to win what's called the Supporter Shield, which is the most points in the regular season, and then to win the playoffs, uh, the MLS Cup. And uh, it was the right combination of players. It was the right coaching staff. It was the right front office staff. Um, and it was just a magical year. And it was uh, it was a fun year. You know, some of my memories of when we won it all, I remember being on the field, and I got a big bear hug from behind. And I turned around and it was Masai Ujiri. And he was one of the first people <laughs> down on the field to hug me. And, and he was it was so awesome because he was as excited as I was. And I mentioned how, you know, we kind of have a real good bond between the three of us. And uh, that was a lot of fun, you know, to watch the players win a championship and rally around that to see our fans, um, the image. When we scored our second goal, uh, Victor Vasquez scored the second goal. It kind of bounced off his belly into the goal, and he took off his jersey and he held up his jersey. And Sebastian Javenko jumps in, jumps on his back, and it was such a such a visual moment for me that 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 was it. We I knew we won the game when we scored that second goal in injury time, and I remember turning around in the in the suite and. I kind of ran to the center of the suite and I just knelt down and I thank God. <laughs> and I was like, you know, thank you. 
um, and you just felt this uh, tremendous pride and 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 good fortune that I was a part of that. And that's what we, you know, I've been doing this. Th- that's what we play. F- that's what we do. What we do for it's that moment. Only one team wins a championship every year. So so more often than not, we fail every year because the goal is to win a championship. But I've been fortunate now to, you know, win two MLS Cups. I've been to five MLS Cup championships and that that was a really special year. It was, uh, it was like I said, the right players, the right coaches, the right staff. And then our fans were just amazing in that freezing cold weather during the playoffs and um, during MLS Cup and to support us, it was uh, something that I'll never forget. And of course, you had a very emotional moment with Tim Lewicki after you surprised him with his very own TFC Championship ring. Yeah, yeah, I did. That was a, a really special moment. Tim uh, has turned out to actually be a mentor for me. I knew of Tim Lewicki before I came to MLSE, um, but I didn't know him. We didn't know each other. And I remember the first time we met, uh, he was the CEO and he had already announced that he was leaving and we went for a drink together and he told me he had a half hour for me and uh, that half hour turned into three hours and we just talked and, you know, we we had a lot of um, similar uh, goals and similar visions and we were both family men and um, winning and and. You know, Tim talked about some of his pitfalls in his career and some of the things that went wrong for him. And and I think about that now as I'm going through a def- very difficult time in my career and how he fought through some of those things. And he'll shoot me a note every now and then to this day to hang in there. But he, without Tim Lywicki's vision for what TFC could be, we never would have been. And so I, I when when they named me the team president, you know, he told me, he said, you know, go for it. You know, don't ever, don't ever go short, uh, go for it and go big and, you know, focus on winning and, you know, have the right people around you. And so when we, when we won the championship, again, I wanted to honor those that were part of it. And so we, we were able to get Tim's ring size and, and, uh, I had a ring made for him and I texted him and, you know, I knew he was, he had a lot of business in New York and I said, let me know the next time you're in New York, we'd love to come down and, and uh, have dinner with you. And so we were able to get a date and uh, Tim Bezbachenko and I went down and had an opportunity to, uh, over dinner. Uh, unbeknownst to him, we presented him with uh, a championship ring and it was such a special moment because Tim, for all his accomplishments and all his accolades and everything that he's done in his career to surprise him like that and to see his emotions and how much that meant to him. It was just a special moment. And I, I loved uh, I loved the man. And uh, I say this all the time. Uh, we never would have won the championships had Tim not laid out the vision for what TFC could be. And I was fortunate enough to kind of take that mantle and run with it. And we did some really good things. So that was a special moment. Obviously, very gratifying for both of you. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Bill Manning, please check out the more than 175 additional episodes available anytime. We got Bob Nicholson, Bob Hunter, Bob Stelick, Coach Jim Barker, and Coach Adam Rita. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. 
All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Bill, your equivalent with the Maple Leafs, as mentioned, is Brendan Shanahan, a local boy, an esteemed member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and chief architect of the aptly named Shanna Plan, which, by my count, just started its 10th year with positive yet <clears throat> ultimately unfulfilling results. Please take us behind the scenes and share with us something fans might not know about Brendan Shanahan, the executive. Uh, Brendan is a, he's a great guy, great sense of humor. You know, cares deeply. You know, obviously with his hockey pedigree, you know, second to none. He's a local boy, right? He grew up right in Mimico and, you know, fondly remembers his days growing up playing hockey, obviously, but lacrosse. He played one soccer game. And so if you ever do an interview with uh, Brendan, I'll, I'll, uh, you can ask him about that. I'll leave it at that. He played one soccer game in his life. But, you know, it's funny. My first interaction with Brendan was before I even came to TFC. It was announced that I had accepted the job and uh, I was going to join, you know, a few weeks later. And he asked for my personal email and he sent me uh, an email note, just a welcome note um, to the organization and how excited he was to you know, work alongside me as, as a fellow team president. And if there was anything I could do uh, to please let them know. And so when I joined the organization, um, I had an office here at the training ground. And I also had an office downtown at 50 Bay Street. So I was able to get to know Brendan a bit and uh, just a great guy, um, family man like myself. There was a point where I, I was doing a board presentation and I wanted to... Um, get the board's support. And, you know, I spoke to Masai, got some of his thoughts and then called Brendan and, and just get some of his thoughts on, on, you know, he, you know, how he had positioned things with the board and in terms of getting approvals and looking forward. And Brendan's like, send me your presentation. Let me look at it. And, and uh, you know, he, he came back to me with great, great edits and great, great, great advice. And, um, you know, that's the type of relationship we have is, is uh, it's one where we root for each other. We support each other. And, and I'll say this, like the Maple Leaves are judged at such a different level. Like they've made the playoffs every year. <laughs> they, you know, I, I think the step they made this past year, getting through that first round of the playoffs, people don't realize what a massive moment that was for this team and this group of players. And and I still think, I think Brendan Shannon is going to win a Stanley Cup here in Toronto because I know the man, he's a winner, and he's doing everything he can. Just the margins are so thin, you know, and we've met some very, you know, the, the year before meeting uh, Tampa Bay, who were the defending champions, and then, you know, Last year, you run into this Panthers team, um, right? Florida Panthers is, is who we lost to. That just was in a groove, right? And I think they're gonna. I, I think they're gonna continue to go further. And uh, I think Brendan's a great leader. Well, as you made the point before, Bill, there's 32 teams. Only one can win. Yeah. But on the other side, I've lived my entire life without a championship. So uh, 56 years is what the streak is up to so we got to get one and i i got faith in him too so let's hope so i want to ask you the same about your raptors equivalent the great messiah jury who of course pulled the trigger on that Kawhi leonard trade and brought a larry o'brien basketball championship trophy to toronto in 2019 
from working with and being exposed to Masai, what might fans not know about him? Masai is a genuine guy. He's a caring guy. He has a you know such a fire to win. Good people person. Um, and again, family man. Again, has a, has a great wife and, and and kids. What he does with the Giants of Africa is amazing. How he manages his time is amazing to be able to do all that he does with Giants of Africa and then obviously run the Raptors. His great passion. You know, it's funny, Brendan and I joke, you know, Masai is a great dresser. He's always dressed to the nines. And we're like, we can't pull off what he can pull off. You know, he was wearing sneakers before anyone was wearing sneakers. And uh, he's such a such a cool guy. Played soccer, you know, when he was growing up in Nigeria. So he's a fan of the game. But he's a friend, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's things that fans don't know. He's just, he's a special guy. He's a friend. Brendan and Messiah, colleagues of mine, but they're friends. And uh, I think we'll have a lifelong friendship. So just a great guy. Excellent. And it all ties back to what you said. Build bridges between those silos. Don't just have silos. Yeah. Bill, the Raptors, of course, have Drake as an ambassador. Can you incentivize other Toronto personalities to serve that role for the Argos and TFC? You know, know, things like that get bantered around. But for me, it's got to be authentic, right? Drake is a huge Raptors fan and and it makes sense right it uh, it just really tied in and so you know I don't know if we have that type of a Toronto FC fan that has that celebrity and maybe we will one day right I think I think Justin Bieber uh, you know is a big Maple Leafs fan and that makes sense right he's he's a big Leafs fan and it makes sense for them to kind of tie things together and so who knows uh, which Toronto FC fan will become world famous and Maybe we'll have that type of uh, ambassador, but for me, it's got to be authentic. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to just have someone that's an ambassador, but they're not really a fan. They got to be a real fan. I like that. True, it's got to be authentic. Now, of course, MLSE is famously co-owned by two very bitterly competitive media and communication rivals, Bell and Rogers. Uh, Bill, I wonder if you can share with the audience how these two rivals get along with respect to operating MLSE together. MLSE is, you know, our ownership is is great, always been supportive. They, you know, obviously Bell and Rogers, you know, competitors on the streets, but, you know, in terms of managing MLSE, I think they all work so well together. Um, our CEO, Cynthia Devine, does a great job of managing our organization and, and, and making sure the board is tied in. And, and so, you know, for me, I've, I've, I've you know, I get Bell and Rogers rivals, uh, you know, in their business, but but here at MLSE, it's what's best for MLSE and what's best for the teams. From our perspective, it's always been support for us. Now, MLSE also has a third partner, the chairman of the board, Larry Tannenbaum. Maybe you can talk about how involved and important Larry has been to MLSE's growth and success. Yeah, Larry's the governor uh, for the three teams, so he he's the governor for the NBA, the NHL, and MLS. You know, has great relationships with the commissioners, you know, with Gary Bettman and Adam Silver and Don Garber. And so he, you know, represents our organization so well, so well respected, a good man. It, it's those relationships at the ownership level with the leagues and especially with the league commissioners um, that really help your organizations. And I think that's why MLSE is is looked at in such a good light across our respective leagues is, is Larry's involvement and his 
just how he is as a, as a man and and uh, his interactions with the commissioners. Now, this being the Trial Legends podcast, our city always requires validation by Americans, especially by someone who is from New York. So please, Bill, tell us how pleasantly surprised you were after moving your family to Toronto, Canada. Oh, we loved it. You know, when I first came to Toronto, too, and, and, and it's a bit of the American bias of me, I didn't realize what a big city Toronto is. You just kind of, hey, you knew Toronto, it's kind of you know north of the border, but it's a massive city, you know, six something million people in the GTA. It's a welcoming city. It's a diverse city. There's always things going on, whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of the arts or coffee here. Right? I like food, you know, what a great city for all various types of food and, and just, you know, a world-class airport with Pearson International. And then, you know, no matter where you live, whether you live downtown or you whether you live in the suburbs, like it, it all comes together. And, and the thing I really love about this city is you're a fan of the Raps, but you still root for the Leafs and TFC and the Argos. Or you're a fan of TFC, you still root for the Blue Jays and the Leafs and the Raptors, right? Like we we root for each other. And as an American, what I, what I really love uh, here is... You know, where I'm from in New York, if you're kind of different than me, sometimes there's a shield that New Yorkers have up until you prove to me that, you know, you're worthy of friendship, right? And and then the shield goes down. And here, what I found is, is you know, you celebrate our differences a little bit better. And, you know, if, 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 if I'm different than someone else, they want to learn more about me as opposed to saying, ah, you're different, you know. And I like that. I think that's really cool. And I think it's a it's a Canadian way, but also the the people who've come here from Europe or the Middle East or, or or Asia, like they've melted into this great city, and it's a very welcoming city. And I've really, as an outsider coming into here, both my boys went to high school here, and and, and we've had such a great, wonderful experience living here. And so, uh, um, it's again, just like our sports teams, it's about the people. And, and the people of Toronto are really, uh, you know, great. Well, we have to talk about coffee because the great American, our beloved former Blue Jay manager, John Gibbons, that great Texan, he's famously converted to being a Tim Hortons fan. So, Bill, <laughs> you've been here long enough. I'm going to ask you, do you now prefer your coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, or McDonald's? Oh, wow. Um, I'm I'm still a fan of Dunkin', so I, got, I, I would have been at Dunkin' Donuts, but I... Uh, what I love is I always hit the local mom and pop coffee shops. So I have a little place called Roost Cafe in King City that I go to. Um, there's a little place called Louie over by Lamport Stadium where the Argos train, where I where I make sure I stop all the time. And and uh, I love the little the little mom and pop coffee shops. Those are the places I love. And Ashton, so Ashton Morgan, um, who was a former player with TFC, we just brought back. Um, in a front office role, and he actually owns a little coffee shop here in Toronto that I'd never been to, and I told him that I got to make it down to his coffee shop so I can get a feel for for what he's doing. And he, so he brought me some coffee yesterday from his coffee shop. It was a Costa Rican coffee. It was just wonderful. And so, I, I like the mom and pop places, but if I had to stop, if I only had those three choices, I'm still a Dunkin' guy. <laughs> you and Ben Affleck. <laughs> Let's close. If I may, I appreciate all the time you've given me, Bill. We're going to close with a big pep talk. Coach Bill, 
Get us hyped to run through a wall with regards to the future of your and our teams, the Toronto Argonauts and Toronto FC. Oof. I think better things are coming for Toronto FC. We went big and and we went for it. And uh, just the dynamics between some of the players we brought in and our head coach didn't work. But we have a new man on the sidelines now in John Herdman. And he's a culture builder and he's a team builder and he's a dynamic soccer guy. And I think our best, our best days are going to be in front of us, not behind us. And that's even winning some of the championships that we won. And with the Argos, we renewed pinball. We renewed Ryan Dinwiddie. We just announced today our defensive coordinator, Corey Mace, is renewed. We extended our star quarterback, Chad Kelly's contract. I think the I think the Argos have more great cups in them, and uh, I think you know the the easiest part is getting to the top. And we saw TFC; we had about a five year run where we were one of the best teams in the league, and then we've fallen on tough times. And I think the Argos are now in that place where they're still building. Like even though they won the Great Cup last year, um, we're now in the third season of of what I think is going to be a really good run with the Argos, and so I'm really excited about them. Uh, and so again, you know, I, I joke, if you ever, you know, read the great book, Tale of Two Cities, uh, the book starts off, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And that's, uh, how I've been living this past year at the best of times with the Argos and the worst of times with TFC, but you gotta be resilient in this business and, you know, failure is temporary. And so we, uh, we've had a really tough couple of years with TFC um, but I think those days are going to be behind us. And I, uh, I think with John and Jason, we're going to be uh, seeing better days ahead. Well, Bill, you did it. I am absolutely ready to get out of my chair and run through a wall. I am super excited about the Argos potentially going back to back with great cup championship wins. And I do have a sense of hope with Toronto FC. So I want to thank you for your time today. It was great to meet you. Great to hear all your stories and Absolutely want to wish you continued success driving our Toronto sports teams to glory. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it so much. It's been my pleasure. Bye-bye. And to the listeners, on behalf of Bill Manning, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. 
It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com.